everyone. Welcome to Talk Nerdy. Today is Monday, March 18th, 2019. I'm your host of the show, Cara Santa Maria. And this week, we're going to be chatting with Stacy Espinoza of the Mars Wrigley Confectionery. Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. It's kind of out of step for Talk Nerdy, but it's absolutely not at the same time. And we'll talk about just why in a second. But first, I want to thank those of you who have taken who have taid, who have made Talk Nerdy possible this week. Remember, Talk Nerdyism will always be 100% free to download, and that is because of the support from listeners just like you. If you want to pledge your support for each show, all you've got to do is go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Talk Nerdy and learn all about how to become a patron. This week, I want to thank Rob Shrek. Pedro M. Rosario Barbosa, Phil T-Bear, The Zombie Drummer, David J.E. Smith, Jeffrey Perez, Charles Payet, Gabriel Felipe Jaramillo Gonzalez, Brian Holden, and Jeffrey Sewell. Thank you guys so much for your support of the show. Remember, there are other ways to support the show that aren't financial. You can rate and review on iTunes, um, or actually it's called Apple Podcasts now, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher, basically wherever you get your podcasts. You can share, you know, the show with your friends and family on social media, word of mouth. You can even visit the Talk Nerdy store at talknerdymerch.com and pick you up some cool Talk Nerdy swag. All right, guys, I'm really excited about this week's show. So as I mentioned, we're going to be chatting with Stacy Espinoza, and she's the Global Product Development Senior Manager for Mints and New Benefits for the Mars Wrigley Confectionery. And if you don't know what that means, that's okay, because we're going to talk all about it during the show. But basically, she's an engineer who gets to like invent candy and mints for a living, and it's the coolest job ever. And I cannot wait to share this interview with you. So without any further Further ado, here she is, Stacy Espinoza. Well, Stacy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. All right, so we are recording remotely. I'm over here in Los Angeles. The weather is finally good. I'm looking out my window and it's nice and sunny. Um, it's been raining nonstop for weeks. Where do you hail from? So I am currently in, I currently live in Chicago, uh, which is the opposite of warm. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, if I believe the weatherman, uh, it's, it's coming. The spring is coming. And are you there right now? I'm actually in Indiana, uh, well, a suburb of Indianapolis, Carmel, Indiana. Uh, and I came down today to do some STEM outreach with my mother-in-law's class. Oh, no way. How old are the kids? So they're in second grade. <gasps> That's yeah. so exciting. We talk about this all the time. And I mean, I think this will probably be a big bulk of our conversation today. But like, little girls, especially girls before I'd say about seventh grade, which is where I mean, it, it's happening all through childhood, but where a big shift starts to happen. They have to see women in STEM positions, women in positions of corporate power, things like that, so that they can see that this is an you know, it's an option for them as well, because they just don't see these role models as often as we'd like in the media. Absolutely. And I would say it's it's one of the biggest areas of passion that I have. And, and one of the reasons that I really love what I do, because it enables me to have something really tangible and accessible to talk mm -hmm. to young people about STEM. And I think that one of the challenges is 
sometimes STEM can feel really complicated and it's you know, for really, really smart people and, uh, and it can feel really ambiguous and intangible. And when I walk into a classroom and I say, have you heard of candy? And they all, you know, everybody's li- eyes light up. Yeah. And I say, did you know that there's, there's STEM involved in candy and jaws drop? You know, there's just all of, I mean, kids are so wiggly. It's, it's really funny. Um, <laughs> but there's just this reaction of, of blowing up the paradigm of what people believe STEM to be. And one of the things uh, that I really, really try to do is just to use the tools that I have to make STEM more accessible and to teach them about, you know, what goes into making products and what are some of the things that we think about. And in addition to, you know, kind of the what, talking about how we do it and talking about how we fail and keep trying and learn from our mistakes and think we got it and then fail again and keep trying and the emotions that can kind of come along with that. And it's okay to feel, I I was talking with the class earlier today, you know, and, and the teacher asked, do you ever get sad when something doesn't go right. And I said, yeah, I get sad. I get frustrated, you know, and sometimes I even doubt myself, you know, and how do you work through that? And so I think one of the important things is acknowledging some of the feelings that that young people have around STEM and their capability and empowering them to sort of be aware of those feelings and then navigate through them to get to the other side. Oh my gosh, you're so after my own heart. I think one of the things that we talk about a lot when we talk about the differences between young girls and young boys um, in their uh, path, let's say, if they are STEM interested and they want to maintain that or, you know, ultimately end up working in science, technology, engineering, or math fields. Um, and we see, obviously, this leaky pipeline. We talk about it all the time on the show, and it starts very, very early, but there are these punctuated periods of uh, development where it becomes quite obvious. And I think one of the things that we talk about a lot when we talk about stereotype threat and some of these other, um, you know, kind of, let's say, uh, scholastic, or what? how am I trying to word that? These other uh, specific traits or specific experiences that have a lot of uh, evidence behind them, right? A lot of scientific evidence behind them is that young girls are socialized to be okay with their feelings and young boys aren't. Like we've, I I always highly recommend a a couple of films by, um, what's her name? Jennifer Newsom, um, let me make sure I'm saying what's her middle name? Siebel. Jennifer Siebel Newsom. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's probably her um, her maiden name. But she did these two really great documentaries, uh, Misrepresentation. Uh, and I love that documentary. I know. They're so good. Oh, they're it's so, so good. good. It's so good. So, yeah. Misrepresentation is everything. And it's all about women in positions of power. But then mm-hmm. Mask You Live In is about how we raise our young boys to like basically not be comfortable talking mm-hmm. about their emotions. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you talked about it's okay to fail. Not only is it okay, it's the only way that science can progress. And those feelings of inadequacy and those feelings of uh, discomfort are part of the process. And they're what make you better. Because I think what happens a lot of times, especially in the elementary school age kids, is that they take a math class or they take a science class. Actually, they're not taking classes that are called math and science, but they do math and science <laughs> yep. activities. Yeah. And the girls are like, this is hard. And the boys are like, no, it's not. It's totally easy. And then the girls are like, but wait, if you think it's easy and I think it's hard, maybe you're better at it. I'm bad at yeah. it. Maybe I shouldn't continue. And really, 
No, everybody's sitting there struggling and thinking it's hard, but the boys are socialized not to say that. And that's a big problem for girls because it it's a mirror. It's like a funhouse mirror that's being held up to them. So I think it's really yes. cool yeah. that you go out there and like make that okay because i'm not sure how often they're getting that from society from their parents from their teachers from anybody because american society is a we don't fail we don't apologize we don't look like kind of society and that's <laughs> yeah. not that healthy right especially it's not yeah. and i think one of the one of the points that you hit on is it's not healthy for either side and so you're not getting the full benefit and the full mm-hmm. potential and i think when we talk about women in stem and we talk about gender equality it has to be a conversation across the gender spectrum. Um, I don't think it should be just on women and, you know, girls to believe in themselves and try harder. I think it's, it's really up to all of us to have a different kind of conversation. And uh, one of the things that you'll probably learn about me on this, uh, on this podcast and, mm-hmm. and that all of my friends and family can tell you is, uh, I got a lot of feelings, um, <laughs> and I'm <laughs> all the feels and I'm pretty candid about it because I think that it, there is, uh, at times sort of an easiness to saying it's hard, but believe in yourself and, yeah. and that's sort of a from too, but how do I get there and what does that look like? And so being really honest and open about kind of that process and that emotional journey and letting those things be okay, but also not letting those, uh, those feelings be blockers. And so um, I, I do think it's really important to make sure that, you know, there is visibility to uh, different types of STEM because I, you know, with STEM, with women, there's so much diversity within both of those. And so making Mm -hmm. sure that there's, you know, we're breaking down the stereotype that women are one thing and one way, and that STEM is one thing and one way. And so I really do, I would say in my outreach, as well as, you know, day to day, whether it's having a conversation with a mentor or mentoring somebody else, I'm, I'm pretty honest with how I'm feeling, because I think there's so much power in not feeling alone. And I think that is really critical when we talk about attracting women and also retaining women in the field is as they go through this journey, there's going to be all kinds of ups and downs for professional reasons, for personal reasons, and being there to support and being there to say, I've been there too, has has truly transformed my career and how I approach things. Um, and I even had a conversation with, uh, with a coworker this past week where she was going through a challenge and it was a similar one that I had faced last year and she was asking me about it. And I told her like, it was one of the hardest things that I ever, I ever did. And I don't know if I've ever cried that much about work. And I really questioned who I was and if I was good at this. And I just saw this physical release of, tension when she realized I had no idea because I work with you on projects and, and I never would have known, but I've been having all those same thoughts and I've been worried too. And so being able to be honest, I think opens the door for the conversation to then provide real support and not sort of superficial sugar coated, you know, keep trying, but getting into the messy stuff to get to the good stuff. 
It's so true. And I mean, obviously, this mirrors so much of what I've been exploring recently in my professional career, because, you know, I've been working as a science communicator for 10 years. But as the listeners of the show know, I've just last year decided to go where I guess is that two years now I'm in my second year of my PhD program, um, where I decided to finally go back after a decade away. And now I'm studying clinical psychology. And so of course, all the things that we're talking about are, you know, central to psychotherapy. They're central to, you know, trying to self-actualize, you know, working on, you know, internal conflict and and work-life balance and and all of these things where it's like you're never going to be able to <laughs> yeah. to excel in that way or at least just to to have a sense of comfort if you're not willing to actually face some of the things that are obviously going on. A lot of us are scared to even admit to ourselves, you know, our imposter syndrome. That's a huge oh, one absolutely. that everybody in yes. STEM has. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anybody in any sort of position of power, of authority, or even if you're not in a position of power or authority, but you're in a position where, you know, you are doing something that you had to work really hard to achieve, um, you almost always are going to feel like, oh, somehow I snuck by. I know. <laughs> realize I'm it's not actually crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. And it's so crazy because, it, you know, I it still happens to me and it happens to the vice presidents that I talk to. And it Uh happens to people who are coming into the industry, which is like, to me just speaks to the importance of community and continued support. But, um, you know, going back to, to the point that you were making around, you know, how we sort of, um, how we sort of evolve from, you know, from a female standpoint, I think there is truth in this confidence gap. And our ability yeah. to recognize our capability and feel confident in our capability. And it's certainly a journey that, that I've been on and I would say is one of the more challenging ones is how do I continue to build that inner confidence and how do I leverage my circle of mentors to, you know, to kind of lean on and loan me confidence when I don't have it and, you know, help me unlock it where I do. And and so I think that the confidence gap is very real. Um, And so I love what you're talking about with respect to how we are bringing in, you know, science and the psychological conversation, because we can, we can talk about the goal of closing the gender gap, but until we really, you know, dig into the why behind it, um, Mm -hmm. I I think we'll always kind of have a, have a tougher time. Um, But I do have to say, you taught me the, the term psychom. Which I really like through your podcast. Yeah. And I was like, I love that. I'm going to use that. Yeah, because that's a big part of what you do in your career, which we haven't even really jumped into what it is that you do. Of course, you've been talking all this time about women in STEM, which is, of course, necessary because today we're recording this on Friday, March 8th, which is International Women's Day. And of course... February 11th was International Women and Girls in Science Day. So it's just like this great time for celebration of these issues, which, of course, we want to celebrate them all year long. But there's extra attention being paid to them, I think, over the course of these couple of months, which is so important. But you are uh, like kind of at that really cool intersection of corporate America and STEM because you I think you're 
probably the first person I've had on my show. I don't want to misspeak. This may not be true, but it's the first person that um, that I remember in quite some time who works for like a multinational corporation. Oh, so interesting. I okay. Had, yeah. Usually when I talk to um, scientists or write, science writers, psychomers, authors, they're either freelancers or they're associated with a university. That's, that's more common. Every so often I talk to industry scientists, um, but lots of times they're at startups oh, or okay. they're at smaller like biomedical places or they're industries that are spun out of university um, laboratories. So it's, it's definitely a change to talk to somebody who works for Mars, which of course you mentioned candy before. I'm sure, I'm not sure, but when you go out and you do these um, talks with, you know, children, second graders, do you bring them candy? Do they love you forever? <laughs> so, yeah. So I work for <laughs> Mars Wrigley Confectionery. Uh, which of all the jobs in the world and, and all the companies in the world, I, I feel incredibly, incredibly lucky and grateful uh, to be in the position that I am. So I, my, my current role is in product development uh, within the what we call our gum and mints business unit. So we have within the confectionery category three different business areas. One okay. is gum and mints. So if you think about hubba bubba and juicy fruit and extra and Altoids and lifesavers, we also have an area called fruity confections, which is Starburst and Skittles. And then we have chocolate, which M&Ms, Snickers, Twix, Milky Way. So we really have some of the most like it's mm. just all the good <laughs> stuff, you know, yeah. and uh, and so one of the things that's, that is really fun is uh, when I'm able to talk to people about what I do, the first question is always, is there candy everywhere? Uh, and the answer is, is yes. Um, and so it's, it's so fun. And it's the stuff that you see out on shelves. And it's the stuff that are uh, super smart scientists and, and, you know, product developers are inventing. And so it is a really, really fun atmosphere. Um, and I grew up with a tremendous love of candy. And I, I refer to myself as a bubblegum advocate. Um, so it's a really fun opportunity. And one of the things that we or that I, you know, bring in when I talk to young people about candy and science is some of the background on how is science involved, uh, which is, is really throughout the candy making process. And so talking to them about the different areas that STEM comes into play. Uh, and then also, because I'm a bubblegum advocate, I love teaching young people how to blow bubbles, the physics of a bubble, when does a bubble pop, uh, as well as, you know, different things of, of how do we taste and, and how do we, um, scaling up is another one that, that might be an area of interest uh, because working for a larger company, we do a lot of our initial development in the lab. So if you think about kind of baking in your kitchen, it's, it's more on that scale, but you then have to scale it up so that you can make yeah. a lot of it really consistently. And that changes the way that you think about product development um, to make sure that you can really manufacture a quality product at the end of the day and consumers are getting what they love. So it's really fun to be able to bring that to life for kids because you can ask all sorts of fun questions and, uh, and the reactions and the energy is always so good. Um, but 
Yeah, I, they just, I, like I said, their eyes bulge and their jaws <laughs> drop and they just didn't know that this world existed. And being able to, to see science in something that you see every day just really changes the conversation. And for myself personally, it is why I became a chemical engineer. So I have always loved candy. Um, I was told that candy companies hired chemical engineers. And so that's how I made my, my decision to do uh, chemical engineering at the University of Utah. I love that so much. Okay, so I was going to ask you that because I know that your title, you know, at at the company is that you're a product development manager. But I was wondering, did you come in it through chemistry? Did you come in it through business or through engineering? So you studied chemical engineering. So that's like a blend of chemistry and engineering. Yes? Yes. Yeah. So it's it's chemistry. It's engineering. The other thing that I, you know, maybe a bit biased, but the other thing I really love about engineering degrees is at the heart of all of it, it's about problem solving and really Mm -hmm. thinking through complex problems and collaborating. And I think that time and again, I see the foundation that degree helped me build to be able to do that, even if the problems I face now may be less technical and more strategy focused or more people focused. It's still that skill set that that I, you know, had the opportunity to build up. So yeah, I did, I did chemical engineering and I started in, let's see, 2009 after I graduated with uh, Procter and Gamble and actually worked on paper towels uh, for about five years in their research and development area. And then when my husband's job moved us to Chicago, I felt like it was fate and sought out Wrigley, uh, what was Wrigley at the time and now Mars Wrigley Confectionery and had the opportunity to join. And so um, I think what's been really interesting about the role is, so I currently lead Uh, the product development team for two areas of our business. So global mints innovation, uh, as well as new benefits. So that's really around understanding macro consumer trends and how do we translate those into our gum and mints business and make products that consumers, uh, you know, will love and, and are looking for. And so, um, you know, so my role has evolved when I started with, Wrigley, I started as a senior product development uh, or senior product developer, and that was super hands-on. And I was able to invent some Hubba Bubba gum, a sour blue raspberry, and a candy apple. Oh, whoa. So you like came up with the flavor and you like determined all the chemicals necessary to make it taste just like that and like actually developed those flavors? So we get to partner with flavor houses. So we work really closely uh, with flavor experts. But the work that we do is we're able to take different flavors and understand the characteristics of that flavor. So if you think Uh about strawberry, for example, there's not one strawberry. There's like a million strawberries. (laughs) And they have slightly different characteristics. Maybe one is a little bit more candy-like. Maybe one is a little bit more adult-like. One is a little bit more green. And so there's there's so much depth um, to, you know, to flavor and, and what goes into um, what goes into the, the different types of flavors. And so what I did as a product developer was I got to go in the lab and mix all of the ingredients together and come up with what's the sour blue raspberry flavor that I really like and what's the right level of sour. So, 
experimenting with a little bit and it wasn't sour enough. And then I went really overboard and it was too sour. And so <laughs> kind of finding that sweet Goldilocks spot. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a lot of the work that we do. We're actually in the lab making the products and at the, t I mean, for somebody who has, I got my first bubble gum machine at three years old and <laughs> I, there is a VHS video of me stealing. It was supposed to be my brother and I's gift. And there is a, uh, a VHS of me stealing all of his gumballs and getting yelled at by my mother uh, for, for doing that. So, you know, being able to come into a role and actually make a hubba bubba, which is phenomenal for, for blowing bubbles was one of the most incredible experiences of my career. That's so cool. So when you first started out working for, and by the way, Mars also makes pet food. So like you really ended up in the right, you know, division, mm -hmm. didn't you? <laughs> You're like, I get to make bubble gum, not pet food. It's so no offense yeah. to the pet food developer. You know, they do get to have dogs in the office. Yeah, which I would say cool. is super appealing. I don't know if I would get much work done, honestly, if my dog was in the office. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, confectionery is where my heart has, has always been. And, and it just led me to a path that has unlocked so many, uh, so many other wonderful opportunities. I love that. And so you really did start out true to your passions, you know, combining both your love for candy with your chemical engineering expertise and developing these flavor profiles. But as you said, you know, as often happens in a corporate environment, your positions start to evolve as you move up the management ranks mm -hmm. and you start to have to do more businessy things. And yes. so now you're doing a job that maybe somebody who would have come from an MBA or from marketing or even from social psychology might be doing. You're trying to understand the people who are buying the candy and, and how do they buy it and why did they buy it and how can you appeal to their tastes more. Um, so that must have been a big shift for you. Yeah. So I think the evolution of my role has been really interesting and mm -hmm. being able to go from a really technical perspective to understanding how we translate technology into strategy and working really closely with cross-functional partners like marketing and sales to understand what is their perspective of the business look like? What are some of their challenges? What are some of their opportunities? And how do we work together to understand what the problems are? And part of our job within R&D is to find ways that science can help us solve those problems. And so a lot of my role is focused on developing innovation strategy. And what that means is what delicious products are we making? When are we launching them? Uh, you know, what is the, the process look like? What are the, the risks? What are the steps to making sure that we can scale up? And, and so there's so many different elements and so many different components. And it really does force you to think big picture um, and full kind of what we call enterprise thinking, which is, you know, what's what's right for the broader business. The mm -hmm. other part that's been really cool. And when I started STEM, I would have had no idea that this is where I would really find my true passion is in the people development space. And so being what we refer to as a people leader uh, and managing a team and helping to grow technical talent and helping people to develop was something that I wouldn't have thought of when I first got into STEM. But yeah. 
turns out is the area that I'm incredibly passionate about. You know, I, I wonder your experience in at the university level when you were getting your college degree, you were studying chemical engineering, which would have been in an engineering department, not in a chemistry department, right? Yep. Yeah. So I'm wondering, because a lot of times, you know, STEM, we talk about it, it's this big global umbrella of different endeavors that require somewhat overlapping skills, but in many ways, they're still kind of siloed. I mean, we're seeing more and more interdisciplinary work, but in a lot of universities, still, we see that these departments um, don't overlap as much as they, as we might like them to. And I come from the S of STEM, you come from the E of STEM, and not that there's not science in what you, you do, and mm-hmm. not that there was no engineering in what I did. But one of the things that I noticed in the S world is that, and we're starting to see change in this, but I still hear a lot of people gripe about it, is that the kind of conventional wisdom is that academia is the path and that anything else outside of academia, whether it be science communication, whether it be working in industry, whether it be, you know, working for government is an, quote, alternative career. Oh, interesting. Engineering, yeah. yeah, like that's a huge thing, right? Like if you're a scientist, you're going to become a professor and run a right, lab. Right. Like that's everything. And if you don't do that, that's... That's an alternative career. Um, hopefully, you can figure it out on your own because we're not going to teach you any of those <laughs> skills. So I'm wondering because in engineering, applied, it's an applied career generally, and so there's an expectation that you're going to work in civil engineering or in architecture or in product development or in you know whatever the case may be. Did you feel like your education prepared you for working in corporate America? That's a great question because I can tell you that like most you know, people who get a biology degree or a chemistry degree or even a physics degree are not at all prepared for a corporate job. They don't know anything about business and they don't know anything about management structure. And, you know, corp- corporate America has like w- rules. Like, <laughs> it's very, it's a you know I mean? world. It's a it really is. Yeah. 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 I, I learned early on when I worked in a newsroom, I'm not very good at it. I'm not very good at having a boss who has a boss who has a boss who has a boss and knowing like what's appropriate behavior and what's not. And, oh, you'd never want to go over that person's head. And, oh, you don't want to back channel here. It's a lot that you have to learn, right? Yeah to exist in that environment. Yeah, I think that probably what stands out the most to me from my undergrad would have been the teamwork and the collaboration and the necessity to work with others to get work done. So I think entering into the corporate world, that was a space that was familiar. A lot of what we do, especially in research and development, we we don't do in a silo. So we're constantly at every level working with those cross-functional partners to develop products, to optimize products. So I think that was one of the things that that was more familiar when I entered the workforce. I think, though, the nature of the corporate world is... It is interesting. Uh, And I would say I've been very fortunate to have worked for two organizations, Procter & Gamble and Mars, that are incredibly passionate about people development. And I think really intentional about people development. And how do we, I like to say that it's not about molding talent, it's about extracting talent. And understanding people and understanding what motivates them and, you know, how do we get the best out of people? And so I think that 
I was really fortunate to be within both of those organizations and, you know, kind of to have the mindset that this is really important and to take it seriously and to take my development seriously. The other thing that has made all of the difference has been the mentorship that I've received along the way. So there's no way walking into the corporate world that that I would know everything and be ready for everything. And even in my current role, having been in the corporate world for going on 10 years this year, um, which is, yes, it's wild. Uh, But, you know, there are still so many things that I am continuing to learn. And so mentorship is one of the things that I think along the way, having that support and, and kind of going back to the candid conversations of being able to ask somebody what what's going on. And, you know, can you help me understand yeah. the dynamic? And, and I think that's one of the ways that, that we can continue to support growth within, you know, kind of the corporate world. So I think there are certainly a lot of tools that come with the corporate world. Um, and I think there are also some unique challenges that we need to make sure we are helping people navigate. All right, guys, I want to take a quick break to thank the sponsors of this week's episode, starting with Calm. Now, I know I've talked to you about Calm before, and the reason that it's so exciting that I'm working with Calm is because it's one of those rare situations where I used Calm long before we partnered in doing these ad reads on the show. It's been actually a really big part of my life. So Calm is an app that you can download that is jam packed with really great um, tools, basically, to reduce your stress and anxiety, to improve your mental state. It all really comes down to the concept of mindfulness. And so some of these tools have to do with actual mindful practices like meditation, and they run the gamut from mindful eating, mindful walking, really intensely guided meditation, all the way to more unguided um, kind of activities. But there's also so much more than just meditation in the app. There are sleep stories to help you fall asleep at night. There is a massive library of really calming, soothing music. So, And it's divided. Like I use the focus music when I'm reading and writing for school. I use the relax music when I'm just hanging around the house. And I use the sleep music every night when I go to bed. It's just so incredibly helpful. It's become a part of my daily routine and I really do want to share it with you. So right now, if you go to calm.com slash nerdy, you'll get 25% off of a Calm premium subscription, which includes all those meditations I told you about, all those sleep stories, and so much more. So again, for 25% off that Calm premium subscription, you've just got to go to C com slash nerdy. Remember, you get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash nerdy. I also want to thank Mova for their support of the show. Now, I first told you about Mova on my last episode. It's this really kick-ass company that makes globes. Yeah, you heard me, globes, but they're really different globes. They're not like any globe you've ever had before because... They're the first of its kind. They rotate all on their own, sort of inside of this liquid center. So underneath the uh, acrylic exterior, they rotate and they're powered by light. 
It's the first of its kind technology. It only needs ambient light, so it doesn't have to be in direct sunlight. And it's got these hidden magnets inside that provide the movement, so you don't have to plug them in. You don't use batteries. They will work and work and work for forever. And they're also available in over 40 stunning designs. So there are world maps. There's a lot of cool outer space stuff and even famous artwork. And of course, the Outer Space Collection, which is by far my favorite, features graphics that were provided by NASA and JPL. They're super high res. It includes planets, moons, asteroids, and even constellation designs. It's basically the coolest thing that you'll have in your office if you get your hands on one of these MOVA globes, which I know you want to do. There's a Mars globe. There's a Titan moon globe. There's a Vesta asteroid globe. There's even a Pluto globe. And of course, it's updated with our newest data about what Pluto really looks like. It's even got the heart on the surface. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, guys, you got to look up what Pluto looks like for real. So I don't know what you're waiting for. You should get one to match my Mars globe that I'm looking at right now as I record this. All you've got to do is go to www.movaglobes.com slash nerdy and use the coupon code nerdy for 10% off of your purchase. Again, that's www.movaglobes, M-O-V-A-G-L-O-B-E-S.com slash nerdy and use the coupon code nerdy for 10% off. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned two things there when when, uh, when you were answering that question that I see really beautifully parallel with my experience over the years, both working in STEM, but also interviewing hundreds of people who work in STEM. And the first one was this idea that you mentioned about extracting talent, not molding talent, but extracting talent. Because, you know, I believe personally that anybody could do STEM. Like, it's not like there are just people in this world who were born and were endowed with science prowess, and then other people, no matter what. It's like people look at science capability the way that they look at, I don't know, concert music <laughs> capability. Yeah. And e even there, I think you can teach somebody to play, you can teach somebody to sing, you can, you know, you can learn if you, so much of that just comes down to practice and comes down to having, um, there's a word I'm looking for that I'm totally blanking on because I don't have much of it. Um, Self-efficacy. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but just an ability to focus and to just force yourself to do these things over and over. Yeah, yeah. But STEM is no different. You just have to practice and you have to do your homework and you have to read and it doesn't come naturally for people. Um, and, and maybe there are some people who, you know, who fell into it because of, you know, their parents were scientists, so they grew up around it all the time. And they just, it feels like they have a more natural interest in it. But come on, like anybody can, can thrive in a, in a STEM position, can't they? It, it's 100 and, you know, 50% true. I think that one of the biggest misconceptions with STEM is that if you are in it, or if you are really good at it, that it all comes intuitively to you. And one of the yeah. things that I talk a lot about when, you know, when we do outreach um, and when I do outreach with middle schoolers or high schoolers or, you know, women in college is talking about when it was hard for me. So I became a chemical engineer. I was terrible at physics. I like skirted by that was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm grateful and it was it's done and it just it wasn't the area that that I 
personally thrived. Um, math was always, you know, the more complicated math became really challenging. And I spent a lot of time in our math tutoring center, uh, which I'm super grateful was free because I, I went there a lot because I needed help and I needed to talk through you know, how I was thinking about solving a problem and get perspective back and, and just really, I think really asking for help when I needed it. And so one of the things that I think we do have to be really aware of, especially when we start to get into positions that, um, I don't know, that sound fancy, you know, like a chemical Mm -hmm. engineer sounds really cool. And so some people may may have a a certain perception that comes with that. And I think being able to share when we've struggled and what's been hard and having to work through, um, having to work through it. I've, I've had girls come up to me before one in particular, when I was in college and doing outreach, who said, thank you so much for saying that you went to the tutoring center because I just thought I was really bad at this. And I didn't, I get so emotional. Like I didn't know I could ask for help and I didn't know that it was okay to not, to not know all of this already. And it's one of the things that we really push in research and development and innovation is look, if we knew what we were doing already, we wouldn't be innovating. And so it is about researching and trying and, and being okay with that. And I think it's so important again, as we talk about attracting female talent and we talk about keeping female talent in in the field and in the industry is continuing to support uh you know that that journey that they're on to sort of find their space and find the area of stem that works for them i think a lot of times it's easy to say i don't like electrical so i must not be you know, I probably won't be a good engineer. There's so much diversity within STEM. And so part of the the goal of the outreach that I do is to, even if they all don't become candy scientists, it's just to blow up their paradigm of what they think science and, and technology and engineering and math are and letting that kind of pique their curiosity uh, to think about what else do I like that maybe STEM is a part of. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's funny because I think that sometimes we we have these conversations and I have these conversations quite a lot on the show. And the reason that I do that is because it's not different yet. I mean, it's different, but it's not completely different yet. And until it's completely different, these conversations need to be had. And I think that, you know, sometimes people listening, um, sometimes I I know that this is the case because of the kinds of comments that I will get on social media when I, you know, tweet certain things. But sometimes people listening will, you know, at minimum, roll their eyes and at maximum be like, rah, 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 why do we have a Women's Day? Where's International Men's Day? Uh, you know, yes, I've heard be. that many times. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and the thing is, go ask a child, any child on this, you know, that you know, and say, can you draw a picture of a scientist for me? And just look at the drawing that they give you and like, make your own conclusions based on that because we are not at a place yet where when I say, can you draw a scientist where they're going to draw a girl in a candy shop. That would like like really just be my dream come true. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's almost always still going to be an Einsteinian figure in a lab coat, which makes no sense. Like Einstein didn't need to wear a lab coat. You know? yep, yep. <laughs> it's so weird. He's like a theoretical physicist. Like <laughs> he's like working on pencil and paper all day. Um, 
but yeah, it's like it's this weird amalgamation of like or or when you go to I remember buying um a gift once for a, a child, a young child in my life, a friend's child, and it was her birthday, and she wanted to be a, a princess scientist. And I was trying to find her dress up. She was really into dress up, and it was really easy to find the princess costume. But I kind of had to like make a scientist costume out of a doctor costume. For oh, her. interesting. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah, yeah. And so I, I took portions of the princess costume and portions of the doctor costume for the little boy. But I like took them all off of the packaging so she wouldn't know it was for a little boy. And I made a princess scientist costume. That's awesome. Uh, you know, but it's so sad that we still have to do that. Yeah. that. These things don't just exist. Yeah, and it's it's like ugh, it bums me out a little bit. But it's so cool to see that you're like you're working every day, and that so many women are working every day to to sh- show that these options are are available. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think that one of the the most important things. So I was a part of the Society of Women Engineers and you know you do hear the comments when you're talking about women in STEM. I think that it can it can cause people to feel left out. Um, But I think really the conversation is about inclusion. And I think it's really important to have the conversation with both men and women and, you know, all across um, all across the spectrum to say innovation demands diversity and problem solving thrives on perspective. And we have to be intentional about the diversity that we bring in to make sure when we're talking about a problem and everybody's sitting around the table that we are bringing to the table the best and most diverse perspective, because that's how we're going to get to real tensions and different ways of articulating the tension and different ways of, of solving the tension or the problem. And so, uh, I, you know, it's, it is interesting to see the reaction and it is, it does bum me out when people don't understand why talking about women in STEM is so important because the data, you know, is all over the internet with respect to, yeah to what, you know, the current situation of women in STEM is. And so I think it's really important that that we don't shy away from the conversation and that we don't shy away from bringing everybody into the conversation about inclusion. Because the other thing that is really, I think, important to, to remember when we talk about women in STEM is that women are very diverse and there are you know, different kinds of interests and different personalities and different perspectives and different leadership styles. And so I think that we just have to make sure that when we talk about women in STEM and when we talk about inclusion, that we're really looking across the kind of the diversity spectrum of age and, you know, color and um, and background and experience. Absolutely. And I mean, Obviously, I think, too, like when we talk about women, we're also oftentimes including transgender individuals or, um, you know, gender non-binary or non-conforming individuals, just basically people who historically have not had a seat at the table, people who historically have been disenfranchised, and of course, women of color. Right. I mean, that's obviously so incredibly important when we talk about diversity of opinions, because, I mean, we can bemoan the fact that... 
um, what is it, 28% of the world's researchers are women. We can bemoan the fact that uh, gender parity in engineering, especially in computer science, especially is just abysmal. Um, but when we start to look at women of color and the statistics around that, it's like, it's embarrassingly bad. I mean, we're talking, you know, a fraction of a fraction. And that's when things become worrisome for outcomes, you know, and we're, we're starting to see at least now is study after study of, of real world. And I'm talking, um, effectiveness study, not efficacy studies of like real world outcomes of what happens when the entire R&D team is like white. Mm -hmm. Like we'll see that, you know, AI doesn't recognize black faces or that, you know, we heard the, the studies or the stories about the, um, the water fountains, the not water fountains, but the hand washing sinks. That's what they're called. (laughs) (laughs) Where, where they didn't recognize uh, certain skin colors, right? Because the reflectors were all um, normed and based and, um, and uh, developed with white skin underneath. I mean, these are like ridiculous, overt examples. But what happens, for example, when you're in a room and you're doing R&D on a new kind of candy and only white men are developing the candy? Well, they're thinking about the consumer being a white boy, but it's not just white boys that eat candy. <laughs> it's actually, that's a small percentage right? That's the minority. It's it's people, it's young people of all colors and all backgrounds and all stripes that like candy. And we need to understand their tastes and interests as well. I, I think one of the things that I love most about candy is the fact that it's such a unifier and that everybody has a memory. Everybody has an experience and, and a product that they love. And so I think it's absolutely true to say, if we want to do the best that we can do for our consumers, then we need to make sure that we're reflecting the different perspectives of our consumers and that we are considering who is at the table and that we're looking around the room. And I think we, you know, are holding ourselves personally accountable, especially as leaders to say, who is in the room and how can I make sure that the right people are in the room and that we're having the right conversation. And, and I think that we have to be, intentional about that and in the way that we go about it. Um, I read this, this interesting book called Atomic Habits and it was actually, I listened to it on audible, which was fascinating. Um, but, uh, so Atomic Habits, and it was saying that we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And so we could have really great aspirations, but if we don't create the habits, if the actions don't follow, if we don't create the environment in which we can enable those goals. So if we want diversity, we've got to make sure that we're doing the things that can unlock diversity and can get people to the table. And that happens through outreach and making sure that all people of all colors and all, you know, along the gender spectrum understand the opportunities and at least get exposure to the opportunities. And we have to make sure that as we are, you know, bringing people um, into the organization and trying to keep people into the organization, like, I think we have to be really intentional about how we do that and how we support people and how we understand the respective paths. And I, I just truly believe that we have to we have to put our money where our mouth is if we want to see something different 
and finally get excited about statistics that we read about women in STEM uh, and women of color in STEM. And so one of the things that I've tried to be really intentional about this year from a personal standpoint is is really understanding that the impact of, um, I guess it would be called intersectionality. Uh, but, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, I, I saw this great meme that said your feminism isn't feminism unless it's intersectional. And I thought that was mm-hmm. a really great and provocative insight. And so really just being focused on the diversity of women should be reflected in, you know, in the women in leadership and, and kind of all across the board. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely has to be because it's true by default, right? We we exist in um, what, you know, in multicultural psychology, at least, and I think sociology, we call ethnocentric monoculturalism. We exist in a in a American culture where the dominant, quote, majority culture, or at least the culture that's in a position of power and privilege is white male Protestant. And so oftentimes when we talk about feminism, if we're not very careful and intentional about being inclusive of, like you said, intersectionality. We're talking about diversity of color, diversity of background, diversity of um, uh, not just gender, but, all you know, orientation, all these other things. Um, it defaults to be a, a conversation about white women. And that's, you know, obviously not the direction we want to go is it's just repeating history over and over, which was white men, then black men, then white women, then black women. I mean, that's how we saw it with voting rights. That's how we saw it with, you know, all sorts of um, uh, civil activism is that it just followed that path. And um, we don't want to continue to follow that path. We want these things to be moving, um, hopefully closer and closer to parity. I mean, I'm really reminded of this incredible story. Have you heard the story about the guy? And I think it's an interesting story because you can look at it both with, um, with excitement and also look at it with like, I guess, some what's the word I'm looking for? Like you can look at it and think, gosh, what, what a bunch of lost opportunity is the story, uh, the Frito lay story about the janitor. Um, Richard oh, yeah. So Richard Montañez was a janitor at Frito lay and he pitched uh flaming hot Cheetos to the president of Frito Lay, like somehow he got in the room and was like, dude, like people love elotes. They like Mexicans eat these up. Like they're so good. What if we made Cheetos really spicy like that? I think they would do really well. And they tried it out. Obviously they made tons of money. And this, this janitor at Frito Lay ended up becoming the executive vice president of multicultural sales and community activation. And it's so cool because a, like, yeah, you know, obviously there was a lack of inclusion of 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 and a lack of diversity of um opinion and once you brought more opinion into the conversation, you saw product development that floor it. I mean, it was huge for this company. Like Flamin' Hot Cheetos is the biggest thing for Frito-Lay like since sliced yeah. bread. But at the same time it's kind of sad that it took a janitor to say that because there wasn't anybody and I'm maybe I'm, you know, uh it's kind of unfair for me to say there wasn't anybody already in the room that was multicultural. There probably were, but my assumption is that there weren't enough voices in the room um, from various backgrounds that these kinds of conversations could be had, you know? And I, I think it's probably the same with candy, right? Like the sweet and the spicy and the sour or all these different, you know, there are cultural 
um, chicles and, and, you know, really delicious flavor profiles that come from other cultures that, you know, must carry over and have wide appeal yeah, yeah. that we're just not used to in the American profile. And we're, you know, I think as a, a global company and the, the role that I've been in for about a year and a half is my first global role. And so really understanding different cultures and different, you know, taste preferences has been one of the coolest parts of my job because it it changes my paradigm and it changes what I think about when I think about flavors or when I think about texture. And so that has been, you know, for me personally, it's been really enlightening. And I think one of the things that's been interesting about or I feel like has been interesting about my experience is that um, I, I have been really privileged to work around a lot of women. So in 10 years, I have had one male boss for about three months, which was during the time that my you know, actual boss was out on maternity leave. And aside oh, wow. from that, yeah. I have reported into women who most of the time report into women. And so I feel like I've had a really incredible experience, which is partially why I'm so passionate about continuing and making sure that others have this experience, because I have been surrounded by incredibly strong and diverse women and Mm -hmm. women who, who lead, you know, really in, in really interesting and different ways. And our three vice presidents of the business units that I mentioned, so our fruity confections, our chocolate and our gum and mints, those vice presidents are all women. And they're it's so, so cool. cool. And they're they're very they're three very wonderful and different women. And what I love seeing is is just the way that they influence the organization and the way that I think the way that they all uniquely sort of unlock opportunities for others and, and personally they're one is, is my current boss. The other two have been my boss at, at some point. Uh, and now are, you know, all three of them I would consider as incredibly close mentors and the power of having, you know, like I said, the, the diversity and the, the inclusion all across the spectrum is just the way that they've supported others to grow within the organization. And I think the way that they have supported me to grow within the organization, I think one of the things that I will be forever grateful for is, is the evolution that I've, I've had in terms of career at, at Mars. And that is in such part to the mentors that I've had and the women who have been in my life who don't try to change me, uh, who understand when I cry, because I'm a cry, I can't help it. It's just mm-hmm. who I am. <laughs> um, I've tried. Uh, I did hear a tip that if you drink water, you can't cry at the same time. So fun fact for people, <laughs> give it a try. But I am somebody with a lot of emotion and that can lead to incredible things. And it can also be a challenge. And so I've had these women who, who support who I am and who help me to make, like who help me to be the, the best version of myself and who, I've had such open and honest and raw conversations uh, with all three of those VPs and their willingness to go there with me and their willingness to share with me their experiences and their willingness to, to really help me 
to help me grow in the way that's like so meaningful to me, I think speaks to the power of when we have inclusion and when we have diverse voices and when we have candid conversations about what this journey looks like and what this journey means, that we will continue to make sure that we have the right people and, you know, the diversity and the women and that we have them in positions where they're, they're wanting to stay in the organization. If, if that, you know, or in, I say the organization, cause that's how we refer to our business, but um, who want to stay in the field and who see the opportunities for themselves in the field. And, and it's something that I, I you know, it's, it's just, truly made all the difference in, in my career and quite frankly, in my sanity. Ugh, I love it. And I have to admit, like before we had this conversation, I don't think I knew or I mean, deep down, I must have known, but I never thought that a candy scientist was really a thing. Like, of course, it's a thing. <laughs> totally a thing. How else do we get yep. it? But yeah, like who you don't often think about the fact that in almost every corner of commerce, there is scientific innovation that's happening. So if you are somebody who is interested in becoming a scientist, or maybe you, you know, are interested in aspects of STEM, but you're like, I don't want to work in a lab at a university, or I don't, I don't really know what I want to do for a living. I just know that I really enjoyed that bio lab that I took. Mm -hmm. or I, I just really enjoyed that physics class that I took. Like there are opportunities in literally every everywhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're in a high-skilled global, you know, community now. It's just this is the kinds of jobs that are increasingly available to people are jobs that require this kind of training and are jobs that are going to really need and want more people who, you know, have these STEM backgrounds. Like, it's almost impossible not to be employed if you come into the workforce with this kind of specialized training because it's more and more what people need. They need people who know how to code. They need people who know how to build things. We need people who know how to, you know, um, calculate uh, just, just these basic skills. And like you said, working together in groups, which is a big part of getting a STEM degree, uh, problem solving, utilizing the scientific method. I mean, right there critical right. thinking. These are huge, important yeah. skills. Um, and more and more positions require that. It's not just like, oh, it's it's nice if you can do it. It's like, no, if you can't do it, you probably can't work here. And um, it's, it's cool to see that, you know, this is just another example of like a sort of what feels to be like random to some people industry, like, oh, yes, candy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think the skills that you're talking about are, are really transferable, too. So one of the, you know, if I remember back to when I was making the decision before I the lightning bolt of candy and engineering, and I can support myself financially with this degree, like all of those things sort of came together for me. But there was a, a struggle of what do I do with this? And sometimes that decision can feel so big um, and so finite. Yeah. And I think that what's great about the skills that you mentioned, and I think the skills that you learn about problem solving and communication to be effective from the STEM world can translate into so many different things. And so to me, when I think about STEM, I don't see it as a path. I see it as a foundation. 
And you can use that to then go wherever you want to go. And I've happened to, you know, choose the leadership path and it's really evolved the skill set that I've had to, to build up. So there's still the technical components and I've still got to be able to represent those and speak to those, but there's also the emotional intelligence that has become such a, a central part of of what I do and my ability to do it well. And I never could have predicted that, but chemical engineering gave me a great foundation to then go and have the freedom to explore different paths. And I have so many different friends who did engineering and one is a patent lawyer and one works with, um, you know, stem cells. And we've, we've gone on all these sort of different trajectories. And so Again, it's it's important to have the conversation of STEM really sets you up with with a foundation and you can pick your path based on what you're passionate about today. And if that evolves, that's OK, too. I think STEM is big enough and diverse enough to be able to support the different paths and the different passions that people know that they have now and the ones that they'll discover along the way. Absolutely. There's, there's, there are definitely enough positions at enough stratifications of, of expertise and uh, leadership potential that there are careers for years. If you study uh, STEM in school, you are going to be able to find something that works for you. And you're going to be able to find something probably with like a really interesting niche um, interest, you know, like many of us have been able to do, especially you, Stacey. I mean, it's just, it's just fascinating learning about what it is that you do. And the fact that this is like a real job. So, that, you I know. know. I love, my favorite line uh, that I use almost every time when I do outreach is I use math and science to make candy and I get paid to do that. <laughs> Somebody pays me money to to do that. It, it blows my mind. And I still remember getting the call from from Mars Wrigley saying that I got the job five years ago. And you know that face that like Miss America makes when she's one and she's crying and she can't believe it, but she knows she worked hard. And so she's super proud, but she's also like me, you want me. And, and that was truly, you know, what it felt like to, to have found this opportunity and to see where it's taken me in the last five years, again, isn't necessarily what I've, I would have predicted, but I think that the support in development, the support from, you know, the people that I've met along the way have helped, have helped me be ready for that. And, and when I'm not ready, have helped me figure out how, how the hell do I fake it, you know, and, and sort of keep putting one yeah. foot in front of the yeah. other as, as I figure it out. So it's, it's, I don't know. I just, I love it. Me too. Well, Stacey, this has been such a fabulous chat. And, you know, we're we're nearing the end because I know I was only supposed to have you for an hour. I've already gone over by a minute. But I was hoping that I could close um, the episode by asking you the same two questions that I always close my episode with, which are like kind of big picture questions, but you can take them however you want to. You you Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, you know, when you look to the future, whatever context is relevant to you right now, whether it's, you know, your personal life, your career, um, more big picture stuff that's kind of beyond you personally, global things. Um, number one, what is the thing that really does keep you up the most at night that you're maybe 
you know, legitimately worried about, maybe even bordering on pessimistic, maybe a little cynical about. But on the flip side of that, you know, what are you genuinely, truthfully optimistic and and hopeful for? What keeps me up at night, you know, if I answer this question really honestly, is it, it reminds me of this phrase that one of uh, one of our vice presidents, or the way that she described it, was. A lot of times, women, it feels like we have a Supreme Court in our heads that is judging our decisions and our actions, and and we're really tough on ourselves. And I can be really tough on myself if I feel like I didn't get something quite right, or I wish I would have done that, or I wish I would have handled that differently, Uh, and kind of Monday morning quarterbacking. I think yeah. it, you know, if I'm, if I'm being really honest and sincere, I think that's one of the, one of the things that certainly keeps me up at night and working through, you know, the rumination and, and it's been something that I've, I've personally focused on in the last um, year or so is just how do I continue to work through that? And how do I continue to build that internal confidence uh, to really make sure that, I'm confident in my ability to to lead because I, I have evidence that, you know, if I if I think about it from a scientific standpoint, I have evidence that tells me uh, that I can do it and I can do it well. So I think that's one of the things from a personal standpoint. I think from a, a business standpoint, it's really keeping up with the pace of innovation and understanding the way that consumers are continuing to change and how fast uh, some of that change is happening. And so how do we continue to, you know, make sure that we're at the forefront of that through our products, through the way that we interact with consumers, uh, through all touch points of the business? How do we really continue to ensure that that we're leading the pack? And do you think that that's also the thing that you're hopeful about? Is it one of those things where, you know, the thing that makes you most worried is the thing that also gives you a lot of hope? <sighs> You know what's fresh? Sorry, that was my dog's ears. <laughs> he's he's getting really needy. He needs some attention. Um, my apologies. Uh, so the thing that gives me hope that's fresh on my mind coming off of the outreach today is the speed at which young girls raise their hands to answer a question and the confidence that they have in what they have to say and, and that you need to hear it. And so it tells me that, that the future is there and the future is ready. And the hope that, that I have is that the more we have these conversations and the more we realize the support that's needed along the way, you know, my hope is as they get older and, and for me myself, that, that the speed at which we raise our hands doesn't slow down and the confidence that we have that yeah. you need to hear, you know, what I have, what I have to say, because I have something of value to contribute. And so when you see that enthusiasm and when you see that confidence, you know that it's there. And I think that part of, you know, our responsibility is the women in STEM of today is to be there for the women of, of STEM tomorrow and to help them see a path that they can really succeed. And I think the important caveat is succeed as 
themselves and as the best version of themselves. Oh, absolutely. Well, Stacy, gosh, this has been such a joy. I've absolutely learned so much. I'm really, really inspired by the work that you do. And I'm just so grateful that you were able to take the hour to chat with me and, and the listeners today. Yeah, thank you so much. I, I've i been geeking out the entire time. This is one of like the coolest experiences. And I really love your podcast. I've learned a lot. Um, it was funny. I was listening to a couple and I was like, I got to watch that documentary. And do I want to donate my body to science? I hadn't thought about that before. But that's an intro, you know, so I think um, I would just say thank you for the platform that you've created and would encourage, you know, the listeners and the audience to really think about the role that they can play in, in the conversation and especially in the conversation of women in STEM and don't undervalue what you can contribute to, to the conversation. Oh, absolutely. Guys, you heard her. All right. Thank you so much for listening week after week. I'm really looking forward to the next time all of us get together to talk nerdy. 